0: Amen. All right. Open up your Bibles to the gospel of John chapter 11. Uh, We're going to hopefully finish off what we we left off last time. B-I-B-L-E. The book for me and hopefully for you too. Right? Amen. Amen. Thank you. Praise God. Somebody's awake. (laughs) No, it's a lie. Thursdays are tough. Let's just be real. It's tough, right? It's a long day, seven o'clock. Some of us bedtime's right around the corner. So I get it, right? A little bit of life in here, I get it. So amen, amen. So gospel of John. uh, There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John is uh, distinctively different than the other gospels. John's gospel, he writes in the 20th chapter that I've written these things that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name, key words he uses 80, 90, 100 times is belief, uh, love in there, believe in love, and faith. And so we see those words in there many, many times, because he wants us to believe that Jesus is the Christ and that we are loved by him. And so it's all throughout the gospel, those words that he uses. John distinctly uses the phrase, I am he records the I am statements of Jesus. As we remember, that is the name given to uh, God gave to Moses in Exodus 3. He says, Lord, who do I say sent me? And he says, hey, tell him I am that I am sent you. It means that I've always existed. I'm the eternal God. And so when Jesus uses these terms, I am, he's making a very clear and distinct claim to deity that I am the Jehovah God of the Old Testament in human flesh. I'm the invisible God made visible. I always laugh when people Or I find it funny when they're like, oh, Jesus never said he was God. Then you may have never read the Gospels, right? You may have never sat down, opened it up, and read it audibly for Jesus to speak clearly to you. Uh, He is God in flesh. There's no doubt about it. He has the same names as God. He acts like God. He presents as God. He rose from the dead. I mean, just I can go on and on, do a whole sermon on that, right? But John's Gospel focuses on the deity of Jesus Christ. And as we get into um, today's chapter, I know it would, and it's heavy. but we're talking about death. And, you know, Jesus' ministry started off with John the Baptist pointing to him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then we get to John 11 where the last public uh, miracle is done and it's raising someone from the dead. And so we're dealing with a very, very, very heavy and sobering topic of death, right? Death is a thief and a robber comes in around the corner, under your door, in your bedroom, at your work, on the road, and it steals your mother, your father, your son, your daughter, your cousin, your pastor, you name it, with sometimes not even a moment's notice, right? It's the great equalizer. It's the great even Stephen. It makes everything on an even playing field. And without Jesus, then that's where it stays. But the Bible says, but God. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And so Jesus, where we're death puts a period, Jesus puts a question mark. No, I don't think so, right? And so Jesus steps on the scene and he is the only way to life because he has life in himself. And so as we look at this chapter, I love, uh, like I said last time, like the book of Job was the first book I ever read. So yeah, (laughs) but I noticed in Job, Job's a very theological book and Job asked these two distinctive questions in the book. And one was how can a man be right with God? And then if a man dies, shall he live again? And I believe like this question is distinctly answered in chapter 11, that if a man does die, if a woman does die, they shall live again only on the terms of Jesus Christ, right? And so uh, I'll quickly kind of go through the outline as we continue through it. But I tell the message, Jesus has the final word. Death is fatal, but not final. Saints, Christians, we do things different, all right? We deal with death different. We deal with life different. We deal with work different we deal with grief different. We should deal with money different. We should do family different. Everything that a born-again believer does should be different because of Jesus. Amen? Does that make sense? Because he's alive, right? And the world is full of sin and death, and Jesus is alive. And so anyone who's filled with Jesus should be different, right? Bible says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is in us, both to do his will and his pleasure. Amen? And so... We are going to die. That's going to happen. The Bible's riddled with that reality, that it's appointed for a man to die once and afterwards is the judgment, right? And that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so there's, there's no secret. Like, are we going to die one day? Yeah, you are going to die one day, unless the rapture comes. Well, that's a whole other subject, right? But we are going to die. And so the first point is the reality of death. We're all going to die. Sin is the sickness, but Jesus is the cure. And we saw that as the text says very clearly that Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, but yet he still waited several days before he went to where Lazarus was. And so uh, what I derive from that is God's delay doesn't mean God's denial. It's that you can pray and pray and pray and pray. You pray on your time, and God answers on his. And he's rarely early, but he's never late, right? Always on time. I thank God for that. But just because he delays doesn't mean it's his denial. We're called to still trust in him no matter what, right? And then we see uh, point number two, dealing with death. And that's hard. We talked about death in the in its sense it means separation. Is uh, you know physically your body, your soul separated from your body. Um, but also for us as believers, when people die, we're separated from our loved ones. And that's why it hurts so much. But unlike someone who does not know the Lord, and they don't have a hope of seeing that person again, the believer has hope, has the promise that if they're saved, they will see them again in heaven. The Bible makes that very, very clear. So guess what? We grieve and it hurts and we miss them, but we have the promise we'll see them again. So therefore we have hope, right? Does that make sense? And God promises us comfort. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 1 that God is the God of all comfort. And that he'll actually use other believers who have gone through similar things and God has comforted them. And then he'll use them to comfort us with the same comfort they received from him. Thank God for the body of Christ, right? That's why we don't forsake the fellowship. You know, I had a um, person maybe a couple months ago, didn't even know who they were. They knew I was a pastor. They instant messaged me, hey, pastor, like uh, I have my daughters and gave me this like long story. She needs medication. Would you? Would you? We call this church. Would you give us two hundred dollars? I'm like, you know, look, we want to help, we we do. But I asked her, hey, you know what? What church are you going to? Are you going? Are you in fellowship? What's going on? You know? Oh yeah. Well, we went. We asked this church and this pastor, and they said they didn't have anything. And I thought that was strange, because if you're a faithful member and you're coming to church and you have fellowship with other believers, no problem. People come and wrap their arms around you, right? But she didn't know who the pastor was. Didn't know anyone else who went to the church, right? And so what ended up happening, well, I was just one of many stops that that individual was making, right? But I said that all to say is that when you're connected to the body of Christ, you're, con- you're connected to all the gifts that God has given the people in the body. That's why I say, thank God for the body, because God uses them to help comfort us when we need it. That make sense? And then, of course, in Jesus, we die. We don't die, but we just transition really, really well. Amen. Because scripture says, I love, the letters of apostle Paul blows me away, completely blows me away. But in Romans eight, he says, I'm persuaded. And he starts with this, that neither death nor life, power, angels, nor principalities, things present nor things to come, neither height nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to what? Separate us. From the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so, because of Jesus, we may die, but there's no separation. We just transition very, very well. All right? All right let's get into the text. I think I ended off last time like at verse 30 something. So, we'll start in verse 30 something. <laughs> we'll start in verse uh, uh, 35, actually, it's a great verse. Jesus wept, right? Some say the shortest verse in the Bible, and I think it is. All right. So, John 11, you guys there? Amen. All right. Amen. Just let me get my. My intermission water. So they brought the news of Jesus. They found out he's dead. Martha, as we know, was a servant, responded, Jesus, if you've been here, this wouldn't have happened. Then Mary comes, and now we see in verse 35, here's what it says. It says, Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. For me, this is so personal. And I think we can all personalize with this. Jesus was human. He was the perfect God, man. He got tired, the Bible says. He got hungry. He experienced all those natural things that we experience. We need sleep. We get tired. We get angry. Remember, Jesus flipped the tables. We get angry. We deal with all these human emotions, and so did Jesus. And this is why he can be merciful and compassionate to us and understands what we go through. You know, it's really hard to empathize with someone with something you've never, ever been through yourself or something you can't understand. It's hard to minister to somebody else. Typically, you know, I work at this school. For uh, the principal that's here, she was a teacher for 20 years. So she understands what the teachers are going through. That makes her a very good principal because she's been where the teachers have been. In the military, lieutenants, the best lieutenants were soldiers first. They understand and they, they get what the soldiers are going through, so they're a better leader. Jesus, not only was he God, but he was also a man, and he experienced everything that you and I went through, including grief, including losing people that he loves. We know God is very, very intentional, I believe it was was very intentional when we see several times that it says Jesus loved them. Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, whom the one whom Jesus loved. And so we see there was a deep relationship and affection here, hence why Jesus wept. He cried. It hurts. There's pain there. Even so to the point where it says the Jews said, see how he loved him. His great love for Lazarus, Guess what? We don't weep at funerals if we don't care about the person. You know, sometimes you go to a funeral, you don't know them at all, you're kind of there just to support. But the ones whom we really care about, we have deep, deep pain and sorrow. That's why we cry. It hurts, we miss them. And as I said earlier, death causes separation. I believe it's in Hebrews 4, it says Jesus is a merciful and compassionate high priest. Jesus is grieving, verse 37. And some of them said. Could not this man who opened up the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? So obviously, the, those who were around him, they witnessed all the miracles Jesus was doing. If you guys remember back in John 9, he healed the man who had been born blind. All these things, you imagine, the small area of Jerusalem and, and, and uh, Galilee and Judea. You could just think about Thousand Oaks and Newberry Park. If something like that happened here, everybody knows that, up, Right? There's a guy at Thousand Oaks, you know. you know. Funny story. We're not, and this is, I live in Oxnard at that time. But uh, my brother Craig and I, we were like looking for churches. And we're out in Oxnard. And somehow they heard, and here's what they said, direct quote. It wasn't him, but he was quoting somebody else, I guess. But he heard about Pastor Dave. He's like, hey, dude, this is white dude that preaches the Bible for an hour in a gym in Calabasas. We heard about it. It was that serious. Because we were having a hard time at finding a church that teaches the Bible. That's a big deal for us. Well, at this point, the miracle happened. Everybody knew what Jesus was doing. It it crossed the land and sea, that area, you could not hide it. And so they're like, if Jesus can do all those other things, could he not raise this man Lazarus from the dead? He can do all these things. Now, part of that, did they really believe? We don't know, right? Some people just love the show. Oh, he did that, I want to see him do it again. And then some people did truly believe. We don't know. But the question for each and every one of us is, do you believe, right? I can spectate all day. Well, what's that person doing? Well, you read your Bible today. What'd you do? In your, I, and I could. But the reality is, where am I at with the Lord? Where are you at with the Lord Jesus Christ? Have we believed on him? Do we know him personally and intimately? That's the consistent question that should plague everybody's day when they examine themselves. But the outsiders are looking, again, for signs, They get the point of what Jesus is capable of doing, but not for the right reasons. Verse 38. Then Jesus again, groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. 39, Jesus said, take away the stone. So that word groaning in himself, it means angered within himself or pained. And he's most likely hurt and agitated by the result Of sin. Now, not every death is directly because of sin, but every death is indirectly because of sin. And what I mean by that is the scripture says that through one man, sin entered the world and death by sin. Therefore, death passed to all men because all have sinned. You guys don't remember in the garden in Genesis, they're walking with God in the cool of the day. There was no death. There was no sin. There uh, there wasn't death of plants or animals. And then what happened? sin came. And then we see thorns and thistles. And then we see God, an animal, offer an animal, which I believe was a lamb. That was the first death, right? And because of sin, that's why we have death all around us. Even creation suffers from sin. And so Jesus is impacted by that because sin causes death and death creates separation. So he groaned within himself, the text says. And so Jesus approaches the tomb and usually back then they were in caves. So it wasn't like the tombs of like what we see, but usually it was in caves back then. So Jesus says, Hey, take away the stone. Now put yourself in, in Mary's shoes right now. He's been dead for a while, a few days, telling them, take away the stone. What are you thinking right about now? Stink, old King James stinketh, right? <laughs> Body stinketh by now, which you are really gonna see. But well, what you possibly could be imagining, I don't want to see my deceased loved one decayed. I don't want to see that. What do you mean take away the stone? Just if you're going to do something, do it with the stone closed, right? I don't want to see what's behind there. I'm good off the last view that I got of my loved one, you know? And sometimes, though, when we're in grief, and I've unfortunately been a part of, you know, one when my brother passed away I, I, with my mom to go through that and the whole, you know, I want to see him like right now in whatever state they died in. And that's kind of our heart because that's like our last vision. of them. But truth be told, we really don't want to see them like that. We, we really don't want to see our, our loved one, the people we cared about, in the state in which they transitioned on, right? But in that moment, we just love them so much and we just, we don't care. We just want to see them the way they are. But we can imagine kind of what's going on when it says, hey, take away the stone. Take that away. We can only imagine and so, as I said, take away the stone. It says, Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there's a stench, for he has been dead four days. Now, now, again, back then, we didn't have all this, this medical advancement, right, where the embalming, the embalming fluids and things we have now. So you can only imagine how that might have smelled. I'm good. I don't, I don't, I don't want to smell that. Lord, keep the stone on. I don't want to smell the body. I'll stand over here, like way over here. Tell me what goes on, what you're going to do in there. But she's telling Jesus, like, you know, and again, remember, she's telling Jesus this. The one who she has seen do all the miracles. Jesus has aided her house. She served Jesus because Martha was a servant. And she's now telling Jesus, hey, Lord, you know what? You probably don't want to do that. That's probably not a good idea. And we laugh, right? But sometimes we do the same thing, right? Lord, you know what? I know. You know, I probably shouldn't go tell that person because they're probably going to reject the gospel. Or why would I do that? Go preach to them. Not they don't even, I heard them. They cursed your name the other day. Why should I tell them? We get caught up in that too. We have to remember, if the Lord says do it, do it. He knows all things. The beginning from the end. And obedience is the greatest form of worship. So she says he's been in there four days. I don't know about that. Are you kidding me? (laughs) How are we supposed to do that? it kind of reminds me of a time where and yeah, this is a true story. Now I'll be honest. I'm. I believe the gifts are still there. I believe God still does miracles. About four years ago, uh, a brother in Christ, one of his, um, I think it was his daughter-in-law, stage four cancer, stage four back cancer. My uncle called me he's like, "Hey, let's go, let's go anoint her with oil and go pray for her. The cancer'll go away." And I'm like, "Okay." And I'll be honest, I was thinking we'll we'll go through the motions. She she has about two weeks to live. We'll go through the motions. We'll we'll pray, say we did it, and you know attend another funeral. That's what I was thinking. We go over there, get the oil, olive oil, shows you the power, not in the oil, but in the spirit. Get the olive oil, anoint her, right? Pray over her. Um, And it definitely felt different. It was, was the Holy Spirit was there. And give her a hug. She accepts the Lord to save her because she wasn't saved. And then we go about our business. And I'm thinking, okay, you know, totally forgot. Three weeks later, come to mind, hey, let me go check up on and I even forgot her name. Call her and we wouldn't believe it. She said, we went to the doctor. The doctor said, there's no more cancer. It's not there. And I'll be honest, my first response, was, are you sure? And do another test, right? But we do that sometimes. I, God still heals. He still does miracles. It just may not be the way and with whom you may think it happens, but that's real. It still happens. To this day, she's still alive. She had stage four cancer, was given two weeks to live. We went over there, prayed over her. We were being obedient to scripture. Any sick among you, call the elders of the church, anoint them with oil. The prayer of the faith will heal the sick. For the fervent, affectionate prayer of the righteous, develop much. We did that in faith. And and I had, and oh, ye little faith was me, right? Oh, ye little faith. We did that in faith and it happened. And And I sat there and I pondered. I'm like, Lord, I doubt it. I didn't think you'd do it. I even questioned after I heard the news. Like, are you sure? Was it the right, you know, right doctor? What happened? But the Lord still performs miracles. And we need to just believe. We need to trust and obey Jesus when he asks us to go pray for someone. We need to trust and obey the Lord and believe that he still is a God of miracles. Amen? Verse 40. Jesus said unto her, did I not say to you, that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God. Back in verse four, Jesus said, but for the glory of God, that the son of man may be glorified through this. Once again, he questions their belief or lack of faith. Their lack of faith is a stumbling block to seeing the glory of God. If you guys remember the gospels, Jesus went to his hometown and they doubted. And it said he can do no major miracle but heal you feel he sick because of their non-belief, Because of us not trusting in the Lord, we in a sense, obviously God's sovereign, but in a sense, we limit our ability to see the Lord move in our lives. Because what? God is pleased with faith. For without faith, it's what? Impossible to please him, right? And so God is who he says he is. But she, again, is doubting. Said, did I not tell you if you believe? I always look at the Israelites. Look at, we're not seeing, well, at least here, or I haven't heard of it. We're not seeing seas being split anymore. We're not seeing the 10, like what we, what we read about in Exodus, Bible says was a great deliverance, a great deliverance. And to my knowledge, and I don't watch much TV, so I don't know. I mean, I don't watch much news either. So maybe in foreign countries that's happening. But we don't see a lot of that happening today, partly because I believe we have the completed canon. But we didn't see any of that. The Israelites did though. And they experienced it. And God walked them through the sea on dry land and then closed the sea on their oppressors in front of them for them to see. And I don't know how how long it was before they were what? I think we want to go back. They had cucumbers there, right? We had onions and leeks and quail. I think I want to go back. That quickly, non-belief. That quickly. And we, we look at that like, how on the world if I, if I had all those signs, I would never, but we, but we do, we do. We have, the, we have the word of God. We have all the trends form lives around us. We have what God has done in our own lives. And we see miracles and things of the Lord working all the time. And yet we still have our moments of doubt, all of us, right? And so I look at this as a reminder for us to take heed lest we fall too to the same example of non-belief. But the Israel, Israelites looked at the circumstances and forgot about the character of Almighty God. Amen? Verse 41. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, dead man being Lazarus. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. I love Jesus. Even though he's God Almighty in human flesh, he's still humble enough to pray. Even though he knows God is going to do it anyway, but he says, for them who are watching, I know that you hear me. And so he prays and says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. So before he does this great miracle, he publicly addresses his father in prayer. He thanks him. He affirms that the father always hears him. And this is what Martha asserted back in verse 22. She says, well, I know even anything you ask of God, he will give you. But for the people listening, that they may believe. Remember, key word in the gospel of John, love and belief. Love and belief that you may believe. So this would be one of the signs that Jesus was and is who he says he is. Remember in Egypt, the sign was the blood of the lamb on the doorposts. That was a sign that delivered them from death. Sometimes God will give us signs also in our lives. But are we paying attention, right? Right? Are we seeking the Lord in prayer on what direction he has us to take? I think sometimes we get so easy to navigating, so used to navigating our own lives, we forget to even consult with God. Why do I know I'm supposed to do that, Lord? I don't even have to check with you, right? And then when our lives get derailed, we're like, what happened, Lord? He's like, well, I've been waiting for you to ask for counsel, right? I've been been here and you just kind of took it on your own, right? That phrase, Jesus, take the wheel, that should be every day. Jesus, take the wheel. Jesus, it belongs to you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. I like to say, not in your emotions, right? Trust in the Lord, not in your emotions. Are your emotions real? Yeah, they are. They're real. God gave them to us, but can they lie to us? Yeah. I like to say they're a smoke alarm, right? Smoke detector. They tell you something's going on, but they're not always not always accurate in telling you what the problem is. It could be a bad battery. Right, <laughs> there could be a bad battery. Doesn't mean there's there's a fire, right? Sometimes you just you burnt the food, right? It's not really a fire, but you don't automatically call 911 when the smoke alarm goes off, right? You guys don't do that, right? Okay, Amen. You do do an investigation, right? You do make sure that uh, there isn't a fire, and you and you don't call 911 when it's not necessary. Well, it's the same thing with us. When our emotions go off, we need to consult with Jesus. Lord, I'm feeling this way. I'm anxious, angry. Uh, Lord, help me, get, give me an understanding, right? And so we always want to consult with the creator of the universe, and we want to pray. We as believers, the Bible says that we have what we call confidence. 1 John 5.14, for you note takers, it says, anything we ask of him, he hears us because we are in him. That was a paraphrase. And so we have that confidence, saints, that anything we ask in his will, remember that, in his will, according to his will, We ask in Jesus' name, he will give us anything. That doesn't mean, hey, I want like $1,500 million. I want, you better give it. No, that doesn't mean that, right? A a passage of scripture that really helps me understand, I think it's in Psalm either 37 or 34. It says, first, delight yourself in the Lord, and then he will give you the desires of your heart. So what that means is when you seek his face, you draw near unto him and he draws near unto you, your, guys desires will, your desires will align with his, right? And then therefore, whatever you pray, it's in his will, right? And there's nothing more fulfilling than walking in the center of God's will. I love what Charles Spurgeon says, nothing outside of the will of God that I want, but nothing inside the will of God that I fear. And that's why the Christians should be able to walk boldly and confidently when they know they're in the will of God. Does that make sense? Amen. Verse 43, here's what he says. Now, when he had said these things, after he had prayed, after he said, Father, I know that you hear me, he cried with a loud voice. Imagine. Lazarus, come forth. Now, as you can imagine, why do he say Lazarus' name? Why do you know? Every grave that was ever... <laughs> All the bodies from Abraham, from Adam, whatever, would have rose up from the grave and we would have had a cemetery party, right? (laughs) If he had not said his name. Why? Because the word of God is that powerful. When he spoke, when he said, let there be light, there it was. That's how powerful the word of God is. He commanded and it stood forth. Scripture says, he upholds everything by the word of his power. Jesus literally commands life from death. For your note takers, 2 Corinthians 4 and 6 says, for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. One of my favorite Psalms, and I have a lot of them. One nineteen nine, how shall a young person cleanse their ways by taking heed according to your word? One nineteen eleven, I have hidden thy word inside my heart that I may not sin against you. When Jesus had his battle in the wilderness, his temptation, first one, go ahead and turn it to bread. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy: Man shall not live by bread alone. But every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, the word of God is alive and it's active. And so Jesus speaks with a voice, Lazarus, come forth. And it said, and he who had died came out hand and foot with grave clothes and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him Go, and point number three, Jesus has power over death. Death has no sting, the grave, no victory. Only Jesus has the power to make us alive in Ephesians 2. It says that while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God, Jesus, made us alive. And so I believe this is a clear picture of all of us before we become believers. We are dead, we cannot do anything to please the Lord, We need to be made alive in Christ. And only he has the power to do it. He does it through his word. I think it's in James 1. It says, he begot us through his own will by the word of his power. The word all day. Saints, when they say, loose him and let him go, Lazarus is still in his grave clothes. He now needed help to get loosed. And I think, honestly, this is a picture of what we call discipleship is that Jesus, couldn't Jesus just say, grave clothes come off? Would they come off? They would have pff, disintegrated, right? Whatever Jesus wanted. But notice those who were standing around, he wants them to be participants in what he's doing. And again, it's part of the discipleship process is that Lazarus is raised from the dead. If you can think of, I look at him as a mummy, right? He's wrapped in the grave clothes and he obviously can't move. And so Jesus says, "Loose him Let him go. Help him out. See, the habits of our old lifestyle, they're dead in the grave, right? When we come out, those are part of the grave clothes that need to help be loosed. You think about that term, babes in Christ. We need help to learn how to walk. Need help to learn how to talk. Need help to learn how to do the things that young adults end up doing when they're babies. They grow. You know, I look at, uh, I think it was Peter. He said, uh, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow, right? And so he says, loose the grave clothes. And so they come and they help him and they assist him. And I remember it was about, I may be wrong, four years, probably longer than that. But when I really first started serving the Lord and I fully surrendered, I was in my late 20s. I did a religion ship for a long time, 27 years, I think. And really started serving the Lord. Brother Craig was there. And he was the one who called me. like, hey, let's basically, hey, there's, let's start a Bible study. And so we started doing a Bible study out of my house. It was just me, my wife, and he and his wife, or soon-to-be wife at that time. And that's how it started. And it got pretty large. My little condo was filled up a lot. And we're doing Bible studies on Fridays. And then I started, like, a men's study in the morning at 5 a.m. And it was just constant ministry, ministry, ministry. But one day I heard, and you guys have heard Pastor Dave say it. He would say, hey, you know, one time he was at, uh, I want to say maybe a crusade. And he was like, the pastor there asked like, Who's, who are you discipling? Who's discipling you? And when he said that, I was like cut to the core because I was like, I can name a lot of people I'm discipling, but I didn't have anyone distinctly discipling me. And I was like, this is going to hit a wall soon, eventually, because I'm just pouring, 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 but I'm not getting pouring, poured into. And so discipleship goes both ways. Is that in order for me to minister to someone else, I have to be ministered to myself right? And now, of course, Jesus is the main minister, right? He pours into each and every one of us, but we all have different gifts. And so a gift that I have may help you, and I may lack in an area where your gift may help me, but if I'm not being faithful to share and help the other, then the body of Christ is lacking, right? And so I was convicted. And so I I said, look, I called him, hey, Pastor Dave, what's up? Amen. Bro, I need discipleship. Mm, amen. All right. Just like that. And from that day forward, here's where I am now, right? And he was already indirectly discipling us because we get to do ministry with him, right? We get to see the ins and outs of ministry just by him being here and us being around him. But it was more of an intimate time where we can talk. And I remember many times after an elders meeting, we stay, he'd stay with me till three in the morning and we would just talk ministry. We would just talk life. And for me, that was meant a lot to me. There's little on me, I'm like, oh, I'm getting, I get it from the guru, right? <laughs> I get it from the guru, 30 years in the ministry. But I, that really, really helped me a lot because I never had anyone to sit with me and just break it down. Like, hey, here's, you know, here's what it is. And the main thing was, Josh, ministry is people. Like, it's really about the people. At the end of the day, it's Jesus and the people. And that like really stuck with me, like heavy. And that really helped me see things in a different light. But that was that discipleship, the two-way, two-way. And so I'll ask you the same thing that was asked to me. Who are you guys discipling and who's discipling you? You guys need to think about that. Because it can't be where you're just getting poured into, poured into, poured into, and then you're not helping minister to anyone else. That would be hiding your talent in the sand. You guys have heard the saying, right? The Dead Sea. Why is it dead? Who remembers? All in, no outlet, right? Some of us in here are bloated spiritually bloated, right? <laughs> Y'all need to let that loose, right? In a good way, in a good way. You guys need to give and minister to that which people minister to you. That's how you grow. That's why, you know, the, those of us who are serving, look, look if you guys don't want to serve, like I think Pastor Doug said, wait, we'll do it, right? We'll, we'll take all the crowns and the gifts. We'll, we'll, we'll take all that. But you guys are missing out because those of us who are serving the most. We're not only being challenged the most, but we're growing the most in our faith. And that's why I encourage everybody look, the Bible says those who water will be watered themselves. Is that when you serve and bless others, it blesses you too? Every time I get to be up here and serve you guys, I'm served and blessed as well. I get to spend time in God's word. We have to study to find ourselves approved unto God, right? We can't just come up here and say, okay, Jesus, take the will. Not like that, okay? We're supposed to study to find ourselves to prove under God. We're supposed to do that too. But I'm blessed every time I get to be here with you guys. And, you know, transparent today. This is my third lesson today by God's grace. Got to teach kindergartners through fifth grade. Then I got to teach some high schoolers. And now I'm in here with the gurus on a Thursday night, right? I'm blessed. But like Paul said, not I, but the grace of God that's with me. Therefore, by the grace of God, I am what I am, right? We can't do anything outside the grace of God. But discipleship... I encourage you guys, use the gifts that God has given you. Take advantage of those opportunities to pour into your neighbor. Once we're on your line, once we're made alive, we're to disciple others. Help them take the grave clothes off, and they can help you with yours. And again, the grave clothes are the remnants of our old life. You know, how many times do people first get saved? We still struggle with some of those, a lot of those old things. It takes time, you know? Not everybody has an Apostle Paul conversion right? Where you're converting Christians one day, now you're preaching the gospel another day in the mass of synagogues. It's not like that for everyone. But I would say if you want like an Apostle Paul experience, then you need to be deep in the Word of God day and night. The Apostle Paul was in that, a man of prayer, a man of the Word. The more you are spending time with Jesus, the more transformation that we have. Amen? All right, verse 45. Here's what it says. Last point. Friends of Jesus Makes us enemies with the world. Verse 45. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and seen the things that Jesus did believed in him. Amen. Amen. Seeing and believing says to look upon, this is what it means to look upon, view attentively as in a public show with interest and desire, to be convinced of something firmly persuaded. Again, that word belief, it's a Greek word, "pasteo" to place your confidence and trust in. And so we have to ask ourselves today, who are we trusting in for salvation? Some of us have a diverse background of religion. As you guys know my background, originally I was raised Mormon. Then I got baptized Christian in a Baptist church, went to a Lutheran elementary school, went to a Catholic high school. Like I've seen all that, all that stuff, Right. Through all that, I had to be trusting in someone or something, right? Most of that I did not even know. I just didn't know. It was just, it was too much change, right? But when I came to a reality that it's Jesus, that's who I place my trust in. That's who I trust in every day for the grace that I need every single day. So they believed in him. The very reason that John was writing this, that they may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that believing. They have life in his name. That which Jesus did served as evidence to who he is. The Jews were persuaded and placed their trust in Jesus. I ask, ask this. Now, back then, the signs, if you guys remember, the signs were a confirmation of the identity and the word in which the individual preached. We look in the book of Acts. and I love Acts because I feel like Acts is just a continuation of the Gospels. Everything that happened in Acts It's as if Jesus never left. Peter and James doing exact same things Jesus was doing, got treated the exact same way. It was like Jesus just transferred vessels. And that's really what it is, the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. I will not leave you as orphans. And so the Holy Spirit comes in and does the signs through us. Now I would ask you guys this, you know, Jesus did these signs and it bore witness to who he was. Now, us today, our lives, our transformed lives, bear witness to, who, to what Jesus has done in our lives. And what witness are you guys leaving? One, at home. Let's be honest. The hardest ministry? Home. Right? Let's be real. Home. So we let our guard down, right? We don't got to make a show for anybody. you know. That's the toughest ministry at home. And Jesus says the prophet was our own honor in his own land, right? Home is hard because... We see each other's hypocrisies. How many of you have hypocrisies? I could take some of your arms and help myself out too, right? We, we fall short, but at home it's the toughest ministry because we each see each other's hypocrisies. But when we know that, though, we should still pray for wisdom. And we should still want to seek to be examples at home first because that's where it starts. You guys know the main, one of the main uh, qualifications for, for a pastor? rules his own home well, right? Because if he can't rule his own home, how's he gonna rule the church of God, right? If you can't do it with the people you live with every day that you know and love, how are you gonna do it with these people, right? Think of Moses, three million whiners, right? <laughs> that's tough, that's tough. So it starts at home, but what evidence can we look at our lives and how what Jesus has done in us impact those who are around us? The question is, what is our public witness? What does it say about us? Jesus, Paul would say um, in 2 Corinthians, we're ambassadors for Christ. We're an ambassador. If you wear, uh, work at a certain place and you wear the attire, you're an ambassador for that workplace. You know, I work here at, at Hillcrest Christian School. I'm an ambassador for Hillcrest. But well, really, I'm an ambassador for Jesus, but I'm an ambassador for Hillcrest. And everywhere you go, under all that, you're still an ambassador for Jesus. That's who you represent. I can't tell you guys how many times someone will come to me and say, well, I don't go to church anymore because of the people. Because they did something. That's how serious our witness is to those who are around us. Now, on the flip side, they shouldn't shouldn't have been looking to us anyway, right? They should be looking to Jesus. But it just goes to show you how influential an ambassador is. They're the representative Some people only know Jesus through your witness. How are you showing Jesus? I pray and hope that we would all be encouraged, not condemned, but encouraged to be faithful ambassadors. Verse 46 in the text. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things that Jesus did. So some believed, and I always believe there's three three in every crowd, the three types of people in every crowd, Those who believe, those who thought about it, and those who doubted. We see that in every crowd. But you don't see a crowd where everyone believed or everyone rejected. We know the word of God does not return back void. So some of them believe, and then some of them go away to the Pharisees, and they tell them the things that Jesus did. And then you would think that they rejoice. Oh, he did that? That's awesome. I want to believe on him too. But we don't see that. Here's what it said, verse 47. Then the chief priests and Pharisees Gathered a council and said, What shall we do? You can imagine biting your finger down. What shall I do? For this man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him. Praise God, right? And the Romans will come and they'll take away both our place and our nation. What are we gonna do? We're gonna lose our nation, but we're gonna go to hell, but we're gonna lose our nation, is what we're concerned about, right? What kind of thinking, what kind of heart? What kind of thinking comes from that type of heart? First of all, when they heard the things Jesus was done, they should have rejoiced. He was the prophet of what who was to come. They should have celebrated. He is the one. But instead, they're worried about losing their influence and power. They're worried about the Romans coming in and fully dethroning them. They're not concerned about eternal things. They're not concerned about holy things. And look, the Bible says the fear of man brings a snare. Back then, the Romans had a tight guard on the Jews and mandated that they keep law and order over the people. If they, the people, went after Jesus, it would appear that they have lost their authority over the people, thus jeopardizing their nation. If you guys remember uh, James and John's mom, they saw Jesus as the conquering Messiah, right? That he was gonna be on the throne Temporally, And they said, hey, you know, Jesus can, when you go into your kingdom, can he sit on your right hand, your left hand side? Right? They were thinking this was, he's going to come and overthrow Rome. Yes, he's here. But they misunderstood the prophecies because first he was going to be a suffering servant of Isaiah 53, that the chastisement that brings us peace was put on him and that by his stripes we are healed. Jesus must first Live, die, resurrect, and ascend. And then guess what? He's coming back. And it's not going to be on a donkey. And it's not going to be for peace. But it's going to be on a white horse to wage war with his enemies. And so are you an enemy or are you a friend? The choice is yours. I say choose wisely. See, religion is what they were trying to save. Religion is what they were trying to guard. See, many people have what we call a religionship. And I lived under that for many years. See, religionship is based off what you can do for God. Well, I can go to church. I can show up. Gotta be, you know, he'll be blessed with me there, right? The Pharisees, right? I tithe. I tithe men, leave them, come in. I, I have the best seats of the synagogues. I love, there was, you know, I do all these things. I do, I do, I do. And I love that picture of um, the Pharisee and the tax collector when Jesus says two men went up to pray. One, a tax collector, which they despised. Another, a Pharisee, or vice versa. And then he talks about the prayer of the Pharisee. You know what he said? So pious, so religious. I thank God that I am not like other people in this tax collector. I do this, and I tithe, and I do all these things. And and essentially, God, you're so blessed to have me on your team, right? It's reckless thinking. It's reckless thinking. But then you look at the exact opposite. The tax collector who's despised in the eyes of the religious leaders said he couldn't even look up to heaven. He said he beat his chest. And he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's all he can get out. And so the way to come to the Lord is in humility, recognizing that we can't do anything apart from him. That other way, the Bible says God resists the proud and gives what? Grace to the humble, Guess what? Pharisees weren't humble. They had what we call a religionship. And I hope and pray anyone who here is in a relationship repent today and enter into a loving relationship with Jesus. Because it's way better and there's nothing like it. That's why the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good, right? Saints, we cannot serve God in religion. We must choose one. Cannot earn God's grace love or mercy. That is only experienced through a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Religion wears you out and Jesus gives us rest. And we see that all throughout Scripture. Verse 49, the text. We'll almost finished. And one of them, Caiaphas, being the high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. Nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and not that the whole nation should perish. Caiaphas, the high priest, in his desperate attempt to save the nation, he implies that if Jesus is taken out of the way, it will save the entire nation. Saints, isn't this the way of our culture today? If we just take Jesus out of everything, we'll be good. The problem is there's too much Jesus everywhere. No, the problem is there's not enough Jesus everywhere. That's the issue. And so Caiaphas wants to take Jesus out so he can save the nation. That's what many, many people think today. It's it's ironic to me that it's okay in schools to teach about Muhammad, but not about Jesus. Isn't that ironic? It's like any other religious figure is okay. And here's why, because they're all dead. They pose no threats to anyone's way of living, right? In fact, if you're dead, you're walking with the dead too. It doesn't bother you. It's only when the living come alongside where there's an issue. And so all the dead and false gods pose no threat to any nation. They pose no threat to anyone's way of living. But when you mention Jesus, that's where you have a problem. I think it's in John 7, 7. Jesus says, they cannot hate you, but they hated me first, because I testify of their works that their deeds are evil. Muhammad's not doing that because he's dead, right? Joe Smith not doing that. He's dead. Those guys are still in the grave. They got, they got dunked under, never came back up, right? They're still there. But Jesus under and up and is living and reigning in spirit and in truth. And so Jesus is a threat to all sinful lifestyles. But not only is he a threat, he's a deliverance. He's a threat if you want to keep living that way. But he's deliverance if you're ready to surrender and receive the peace that only Jesus can give. So Caiaphas, the high priest, is concerned that Jesus is threatening my, our way of living. Our, our, my relationship is in jeopardy now. Jesus is going to ruin it. And I would say, yes, he is. He's going to crush it down to the ground. He's going to introduce you to a loving relationship. That in which we were all created to have with almighty God in the flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 51, he says, now this he did not say on his own authority, but being high priest of that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together in one, the children of God who were scattered abroad. See, this is the prophecy of the Old Testament that in Abraham's seed, all nations would be blessed. And see, this is where we think theologically in the New Testament where they the Jews struggled with the Gentiles being a part of the fold. Like, no, no, it's only Jews. This wasn't something new. This was back in the Old Testament. How many nations was Israel? One, just one. But he said, in your seed, all nations will be blessed. It wouldn't just be one. Remember, he's not just the God of the Jews. God is a global God. He's the God of everyone. To so the Jew first and also to the Greek, the scripture says. And also that in the Lord's name with the Gentiles' trust, Old Testament scripture. See, without even knowing, he prophesied the gospel, not even knowing it. Goes to show you gotta use anybody. In the, in the Old Testament, use a donkey, right? If he's using the donkey and he can use Caiaphas, he can use each and every one of us, right? He prophesied, not even knowing it, and was hoping to go against the Lord. What well, was just going with the Lord, not even knowing it? <clears throat> Our God is sovereign. See, Jesus is needed indeed. He is indeed the God of the world. He will gather all those who are His, as foretold in the religious leaders back in John 10. He, has, I, he says, I have sheep that are not of this fold, that I must go get them, that they may be a part of this fold too. And I will be one flock and one shepherd. That is the Lord. Jesus. And then look at the next verse. It says, Then from that day on, we see this a lot in the Gospels. From that day on, they plotted to put him to death. Therefore, Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there in their country near the wilderness to a city called Ephraim, Ephraim, and there remained with his disciples. So we're in chapter 11. And we're basically at the end of Jesus's public ministry. The rest of the Gospel of John covers 48 hours, 48 hours. The writer John uses literally almost half the book to talk about the last two days of Jesus's life. And in fact, that's the pattern in all the Gospels is they spend most of the time talking about like the last week or the last few days of Jesus's public ministry. Here's why, because it covers the death, the burial and the resurrection. I tell the youth all the time, as you guys know, if you want to just disprove Christianity, disprove the resurrection, good luck, right? I'll give you all the tools you need, good luck. Jesus is alive. He was died, he was buried, and he rose on the third day, and many people saw him at once. Paul says 500 at once saw him. Some of you guys may be able to relate to this. I wasn't alive when this happened, JFK shooting. Many people saw it. It would be like someone come and say, JFK's not dead. He's, he never got shot. People look at you like you're crazy, right? Everyone knew when they saw Jesus alive after he had risen from the dead. He was, he was there 40 days. And to deny that he was alive was blasphemous. It was dumb. That's why they said what? Oh, well, someone stole the body. Tomb's empty. We, 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 can't, we can't deny that. But the bo- someone stole the body, right? They, they try to make up all these things. But the evidence is overwhelming that Jesus is indeed alive. And so this was the end of Jesus' public ministry. Jesus knowing that he had an appointed time. And this is where we say he he employed wisdom. A phrase that Jesus uses often in his ministry is my hour. My hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. When he told his mother uh, the water to wine, my hour has not yet come. His hour is very, very close. The hour of what? The death, the cross, right? And as we talk about, again, we talk about death and it's a very, very heavy topic, but life is so precious. That's what makes death so impactful. You know, I heard a pastor say one time when he was talking to evangelizing to some atheists, and he said, would you you sell your eye for a million dollars? two million, one of your eyes? They're like, no, I would never do that. You say, why? Because your eyes are precious. Your whole life, is your eye is precious, how much more your life? And so life is precious. We're here today and we're gone tomorrow. And so the scriptures tell us that our life is but a vapor and that we need to take it serious. And we need, as Solomon said, the wisest thing we can do is while we're in this life, prepare for the life to come. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Jesus here, he employs wisdom. He's no longer gonna go out in the public eye. He knows his hour is very, very close. And as you guys know, as prophesied, I don't know how many of you can prophesy where you're gonna be born, how you're gonna be born, what city you're gonna die in, how you're gonna die, and how you're gonna raise from the grave. Like that is absolutely divine. Not only that, You die on Passover. You can't plan that. You cannot. All this was, again, was a part of God's, what we call, redemptive plan all throughout Scripture through the person of Jesus Christ. So Jesus no longer walked among them openly, but went from there into the country near the wilderness, and that's because they wanted to put him to death. Jesus is an enemy of the world. And if those of you who walk with the Lord don't be surprised when the world doesn't like you. Don't be surprised when they want nothing to do with you. I remember the time when I was working out of school about eight, nine years ago. I've told this story before. And I, that's when I first started reading the scripture and I was on fire and I had an opportunity to sit in the hallway and students would always come out, Josh, what are you reading, what are you reading? I had this right here, should never ask me, right? So they would get this every day. And so it started to spread where kids started bring their Bibles to school. And I said, no, no, you don't do that. So they're bringing their Bibles to school, and there were some other self-proclaimed Christians there. And one day the principal was like, heck, told the kid, hey, you can't bring your Bible to school. And at that point, I'm like, okay, so do I want to be the one to say something? Or maybe I'll let one of these other Christians say something, right? None of them said anything. And so I was like convicted. I was like, I'll do it. I said, hey, man, that, that's your personal relationship with Jesus. You could bring your Bible to school. And the whole room went silent. It was like a movie. They're playing pool. There's a lot of noise. And I said that, music stopped, right? (laughs) Music stopped. And I'm like, dude, like you care about your job? And the thing was, I did, but not as much as I cared about the gospel, right? Not as much as I cared about people's souls being saved. And so that day she came in and said, hey, you can't, I told you before, you can't do that. And I told her, I didn't didn't understand scripture that time, but I read Romans. I said, I'm not under law, I'm under grace, right? (laughs) And it wasn't that law that she was talking about. But anyway, so I got let go in faith, by God's grace, being faithful to God. And then I ended up getting a job before that one even ended that I've been at now for almost over seven years, just by being faithful, right? But I said all that to say is how important it is to stand forth for the gospel. The world is not going to be your friend. It's either you're a friend of God or an enemy of the world or a friend of the world, an enemy with God. That's, there, there's no middle ground you guys heard the term neutrality? It's a myth. There's no neutrality. Satan owns the fence. He'll so get off the fence, right? Choose this day whom you will serve. As Elijah said, how long will you falter between two opinions? If Bell is God, worship him or if God is God, worship him. Joshua, as for me, in my house, right? And so they want to kill Jesus. They don't want him around. And this is the consistent theme for the religious leaders. I find it ironic that Jesus' greatest opponents were religion. They're religious. I find it ironic that the Antichrist comes in the vehicle of religion. Religion is dangerous, so dangerous, because it looks so pearly, shiny, and it's the most dangerous thing that we have today. Amen? We need to be aware of that. 55, we'll finish up. And, And at the Passover, the Jews was near... And many went from the country up to Jerusalem before Passover to purify themselves. So, you guys know the Passover feast? They would come, they would purify themselves. It was what we call a pilgrimage feast. Three of the seven that they actually had to travel to Jerusalem to celebrate. And so they're purifying themselves. Verse 56 Then they sought Jesus and spoke among themselves as they stood in the temple. What do you think? That he will not come to the feast? Now, both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a command that if anyone knew where he was, they should report it, that they might seize him. They don't want anything to do with Jesus. Look it, they're, they're basically gossiping. Where's he at? If it, you know where he is? Tell where he Say where he is. Say, where is this guy? We got to get him. But this is not the first time. There's other, other sections in the gospel where it's the same thing. I think it was uh, John 7. Going to John 8, the same thing. Is he going to come to the feast? Is he he going to come? Where is he? They're all looking for him. But for the wrong reasons. Some want to kill him. Some just want to sign. Some Some are actually curious, and then some are actually serious. And so what side are we on? Are we just curious about Jesus? Right? There's those people that sit back and they'll watch your life. Well, I'll see if God impacts their life. Maybe I might believe. Maybe I'll think about it. Right? And so people are always watching. But it's very clear that if you are a friend of Jesus, you are an enemy with the world. As always, saints, as I said before, it's a mixed multitude. Some sought Jesus out of curiosity to see more signs. Others wanted to believe on him, while another group wanted to silence him and kill him, for he was a threat to their customs and their way of life. Which group are we? Which group are our family members? More importantly, which group are the People that you hang around. You know, the Bible says, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins character. Some of us think that we can walk with people and not be aggrieved. You know, some people think we can set fire on our pants and not get burned. You know what's the foundation of compromise? Oh, it's not that big of a deal. That phrase. Be careful. Oh, it's not that big of a deal. Well, Jesus drank wine. I can go get drunk. Anytime. Jesus never got drunk. He drank wine, but he never got drunk, right? And you're not Jesus. You're, don't fall in the right, but so many times we want to make excuses and say, oh, it's not that big of a deal, right? And that's the line of compromise. That's the line of compromise. Remember, Christianity is more caught than taught. You can say certain things, but people are mainly watching on how we live our lives, right? Are our lives transformed? Are we walking in the power of the Holy Spirit? When you walk in a room, do people know it? Because the Holy Spirit popped in there with you? Or do we just conform to the environment that we're in? I want to encourage you. There's a reason why Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. Sharing Jesus with people is the most important thing you're going to do here on this earth. Does that make sense? Amen, we'll end it there. So in review, the reality of death. Fatal, not final. Jesus has the final word. Saints, we're all going to die. We're all going to die one day because of sin. But all who are in Christ, though they die, they shall live. That's the glorious truth of Scripture. Secondly, dealing with death, we can grieve. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to hurt. But we don't grieve like those who don't have hope, sorrow upon sorrow upon sorrow, where it becomes idolatry and we never get through it, right? That's not how Jesus has ordained us to deal with it. We receive comfort from the Lord. We don't really die. We transition very well. And we have the hope that lies within us. Thirdly, Jesus has the power over death, has no sting, and it has no victory. And then, of course, lastly, friends of Jesus make us enemies with the world. The Bible says all who live godly in Christ will suffer persecution, some way, shape, or form. Are we living out loud enough for him? Right? Amen. Worship team, come on up. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time together tonight. We thank you for everyone who is here tonight, Lord, that you have divinely brought to hear your word. And Lord, your word is so precious. We thank you, Lord, that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And Lord, we thank you that uh, your word and all your promises are yes and in Christ they're amen. And Lord, we just ask that the word does not land on uh, infertile ground, but fertile ground. That it doesn't go in one ear and out the other, but into our ears and then into the depths of our hearts, because your word is a, a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. And Lord, we pray that we would not be ashamed of the gospel, that we will be faithful to proclaim the message of the cross that Jesus Christ has come. He lived a perfect life. He died in our place. And then he rose again on the third day, ascended into heaven and he is ruling and reigning on the throne and also in our hearts. And Lord, we pray that's the message that our lives would reflect when we go out into our mission field. Lord, we wanna thank you for your grace, that we are saved by, by grace, faith, grace through faith alone and that not of ourselves. It is truly a gift from you and not of human works that any man should boast. And so Lord, if we boast in anything, we boast in you and you alone and we lift you up, and we can't wait till we see you face to face. In Jesus' holy name we pray, and the saints said,